0: On my subject this morning is simply this, fallout from the fall. We've thought a couple of weeks ago about the fall of men and women into sin, that inescapable fact that the world that we live in is impacted, affected disastrously by the fall of men and women in, into sin. We cannot possibly explain why the world is as it is in any other way. If you have another explanation, come and tell me. Well This is our subject this morning, fallout from the fall. Let me read Genesis 3 and verse 8. And they heard Adam and Eve, the voice of the Lord God, walking in the garden. They've already taken of the fruit in the cool of the day. And Adam... And his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. The events of Genesis 2 and 3, they go so rapidly. So soon after God has made the heavens and the earth, and given Adam and helpmeet, and creation is complete, and God says it's very good. So soon, the lies of Satan have been believed. The methods of Satan have been successful. He came with questions. He came with suggestions. Suggesting that God is not good. That God is withholding the good things that he could have given have been denied, and that's a lie. Everything that God does is good. His very essence is good. Creation is good. No good thing will he withhold from them that love him. The suggestion, you're not free. You're being hemmed in, restricted. I can give you freedom. That's what Satan says. Another lie. He came with seduction, seduction, seducing us by something sweet, something that promises good, but it's not good because God has prohibited it. Satan comes with twisting. He takes God's word and he twists and he comes with promises. This is what he says. He says, Your minds will be opened. You'll see the possibilities. You'll see the constraints removed. Your mind will be opened. No longer will you have limited thinking. That's what people say about Christians. You've got such limited thinking. You're not free. You're not liberated. You have constraints, a straight jacket to hem you in. But it's the very opposite. The person that doesn't have Christ hasn't got abundant life, hasn't got freedom, and actually it's their own sins that are giving them a straight jacket. They can't get out of them. Satan came and he promised, You will know good. From evil. But instead, what did we know? Guilt and shame. He said, You will be like God Himself. Oh, another lie. You will know God, God's authority. You will have autonomy to decide what to do with your life. And you will have the powers that God is denying. Well, that wasn't true either. Instead, we will be ruled, ruled by a greater power, Satan himself. God had wanted Adam and Eve to make wise choices. and Now the choices that we will take will be affected by all the things that had that been polluted in our mind by Satan. So these promises... The seductions, the lies, the twisting. What did it lead to? Satan bamboozling with evil twisted logic. And we believed the empty promises that Satan came. So our subject this morning, fallout, the consequences. What did it lead to? This chapter as we shall consider, is full of so many of them. And our method this morning will just be to go through the verses very quickly, and I'll pull them out. I've grouped them, don't be daunted, under ten headings. It seems to me there's ten different groups of the consequences of the fall that we are now living with every hour of the day. Let's see what's happened here. Verse 7, here's the first subject, nakedness and shame. The eyes of them both were opened. Oh, Satan was right, but not in the right way. Yes, they were opened, but they weren't opened by good things. They were opened to see things that they wished they had not And the eyes of them both were opened. And they knew that they were naked up until then. They'd lived together. There had been no shame. Nakedness was not something they understood. There was no embarrassment. But all of a sudden, two that should have loved each other now feel embarrassed by what the other sees. There is an unhappiness. Already, a feeling that their bodies were not what they wanted them to be. Don't we know that today? Men and women say, I wish this, I wish that. Wish I had more of this and less of that. Unhappiness, nakedness, shame. A feeling that we don't want people to look. Don't look at me. I'm embarrassed embarrassed by the way I appear that's a direct consequence of the fall nakedness and shame and do you know what this world will do it will say the very opposite celebrate nakedness celebrate the way you look take off and expose that's not God's way. God's way is to say that from now on there will need to be a covering. There will need to be clothing. We will need to hide the parts of our body that cause shame and that cause lust to be fueled. God's way says there must be a covering. We're not to lead others into sin. We're not to play upon the desires and the emotions and the lusts that well up inside us. Nakedness and shame, the eyes of them both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sowed fig leaves. How sad, how pathetic, fragile, Fickle leaves sewed together to make a little apron, something that wouldn't last for very long. The feeble attempts of men and women to cover themselves up. We shall look at it in the future. It's God that provides the only adequate, suitable covering to cover our sin. We'll consider that. So firstly, nakedness. And shame in verse 7. Secondly, very quickly, they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and what is it? They're separated from God, the second consequence of the fall. Once they walked with God, they talked with God, they were there together in communion. They came into the presence of God and it was a joy. It was something that gladdened the heart. Now, even the very voice of God causes them to go and hide. Well, we can't be in the presence of God as we are, naked and full of shame. We need to run. Run from God. Run so he can't see us. What a foolish thing to do. God who can see all things, who knows all things, hears all things, reads every heart and every mind, and we try and run from God because we want and we are separated from God. Psalm 16, verse 11. In thy presence is fullness of joy, At thy right hand are pleasures evermore. Why would we run from a God who to be in his presence is joy, sheer joy, and to know the goodness of God, and yet we want to run? Do you know there are many that won't come to a place of worship like this? A place where we who love God, joy to be in his presence, Through the reading of His Word, through approaching Him by prayer, we delight and I trust we experience the presence of God. But most run. They hide. They don't want to be anywhere near the thought of God. No longer in His presence, hiding. Hiding in the bushes, hiding in the trees. Do you do that? Is there somebody here this morning because of your personal shame and your sin that hasn't been covered? You're running from God. You don't want to pray. You don't want to be in his presence. My friends, you're wrong. You need to come before him in prayer. In thy presence is fullness of joy. If he covers you, if he clothes you, if he cleanses you and washes you, you will know only joy. And you will know at his right hand the picture of God's power and Christ pleasures evermore. The second thing, separation from God. God knew where they were. God knew why they were hiding. He knew that they felt their sin, making them feel guilt and shame and nakedness. Separation from God. And The Lord asks that question, where? Where are you hiding? Where are you? And he asks that again. Let's think of the third. This terrible knock-on effect, verse 10. And he said... I heard thy voice in the garden. This is Adam speaking, answering the Lord God's question. I heard, and I was afraid. you know this is a world of fear? We thought of it a few weeks ago. Perfect love casts out all fear. But this world today is characterized by fear. Mental health fear. Mental health anxiety. Being afraid. Afraid of each other. Afraid of dictators. But you know there's a worse fear than that. To be afraid of God's presence. Because we don't want to come into it. That's what it was I heard God's voice and I was afraid, and I hid myself. I didn't want God to see my nakedness and shame. I felt separated, and fears and doubts started to rise up within my heart. I started to, to want to think there was no God. started to want to think, but I knew there was a God because I heard your voice. And then I became even more afraid because I know God is there. You can't abolish God. You can try to run, but his voice still speaks. It speaks to every heart, through the conscience. We can drown it out. We can try and get rid of it. We can bruise it. We can beat it into submission. But God's voice still speaks. We can change the message. We can pretend there's no judgment. No such thing as sin. We can pretend that everybody goes to heaven. But we know that's not right. Because we know that sin must be punished. We know that God is just and holy. That's why Adam ran. That's why he hid. Because he knows that God is just and is holy, don't try and run. Don't be fearful of the living God. Come to him. Show your fear in respect and awe. Come into his presence with joy and with gladness. That instinctual knowledge of God, I was afraid, because I hid myself and was naked. Well, how did you know that, Adam? How did you know? How did you know that you needed to hide? How did, did, you, did you know that you were naked and that you felt guilt? Because God gave you that instinctual knowledge. And so Adam hides That's why people run from God today. That's why people deny the existence of God and that's why they get rid of their Bibles and that's why the messages change because they don't like it. The reality that God sees, God knows, God reads the heart and we can't hide from God. Well, let's look at the fourth We've seen nakedness and shame, separation from God as consequences, fears, doubts, and anxiety. But there's something very significant, verse 12 and 13. There's no child here that hears my voice now without you and I have not done what I'm about to speak about. And the man said... In answer to God, God has asked the question, how did you know? How did you know? Who told you that you were naked? Look at his answer. Verse 12. And the man said, she did. Blame. Excuse. Diversion. Do you see the shifting? You know this as parents, don't you? You ask a question. Who's done that? He did. I saw him. She did. And you know full well as a parent who's really done it, but you ask the question. The Lord knew. He knew what had happened. But he asked the question to demonstrate for all of time that it would be a perpetual characteristic Of humanity, one of the consequences of the fall, we would go, he did, she did, it wasn't me. Shifting the blame. Oh, I've done that. What about the words of Eve? And the Lord God said to the woman, verse 13, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, Oh, I was tricked. She made an excuse. It wasn't me. It wasn't my fault. I couldn't help it. The woman said the serpent beguiled me. She tried to wriggle, to duck, to dodge the reality that all of us are responsible for our sin. Every word I've ever said is a choice. Every thought I've ever had is conscious, because you don't have thoughts unless you are conscious. And everything that I've ever done, my feet walked there, my hands were involved, I am responsible. Never blame anybody else for your sin. Don't minimize, don't excuse. What does King David say? In that wonderful psalm of contrition, Psalm 51, for I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. If you've done something and you're thinking of it now, something you've done this week, I'm no priest, don't confess to me. But if that guilt is upon your heart and mind, something you've stolen, Something you've looked at, go before God. I acknowledge my sin, my transgression is ever before me. And against thee and thee only have I sinned. Yes, we can sin to each other. But you know, all sin is ultimately against God, against his laws, against his ways, Have you accepted responsibility for the way you've lived your life up until now? That's what the Christian does. The Christian is not a coward. The Christian doesn't blame someone else. It's the government's fault. It's my parents' fault. It's the way they brought me up. It's my teacher's fault. It's my sibling's fault. No, no, no. I'm responsible. I did the deed. I had the thought, I said the word, and against God only have I sinned. Do you see the anatomy of sin and the fallout from the fall? All of these verses, they're so interesting, informative, and there's a theology behind them. This describes the world that I live in and my life Like no other book. Do you know only the gospel puts these things right? But before the gospel can work, before Christ can save, you have to understand you're a sinner. You go into a church and it's love, love, love. Christ will be your friend. You've got a friend in heaven. Christ loves you. Everybody will go to heaven. No, no, no. Genesis 3, we've sinned. This is the fallout. Before you see your need of a, sal- a sal- salvation, you've got to see that you are a sinner. That's the fourth thing. Look at verse 15. This famous verse, we'll come back to this in future weeks, but I want to pick out one term to see that there is war. And conflict and hostility. I will put enmity, a lack of peace, hostility, conflict, strong hatred. This will be the characteristic of the battle that goes on in our lives. War, enmity between the beast and the woman. That will be the characteristic. That's why there's war in Ukraine. That's why people take guns and knives onto the streets across the world. That's why there's divorce. That's why there's breakdown of relationships. Because of hostility. Because we're in a conflict between what I want and what you want. I want your country. I want my country back. I want my life. I want to live the way I want to live. Conflict, war, hostility. Don't we see that? Do you know, you can't ignore God's word. It is what we see. It's the dominating driver of history. When we write the history books and you look back, war, war, war. That's what's happened. In the 21st century, the number of wars have gone up. If you look on average per year, and the number of people that are dying because of hostility, it's not going down, the number of people dying on the streets of London, teenagers by knife crime, has gone up and up. Hostility, war, enmity. Oh, this isn't a gloomy message. This is the beginning of understanding. This helps you to see the world, to understand your own heart. Then you see the need of Christ. The sixth subject, verse 16. Because of what the woman did, the man will come later. Because of what the woman did, he says, you will have pain, birth pain. Monthly pain. Women's pains. And this will be a reminder. This will be a reminder of the fall. The curse. Is it fair? God is fair in everything. He's kind in everything. How many women reject God and yet they have a reminder in their physical makeup. This is because of sin. This is the affliction that we have to bear. Multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children. And thy desire will be to your husband. Well, it says in verse 17, a seventh thing, there will be authority Imposed. It starts in verse 16. Because of the fall, there will need to be rulers. The husband should rule over the wife. He should do it in love and kindness. Sadly, that's very rarely the case. Verse 17. Adam, because of what you've done, because you listened to the voice of your wife, you will also have punishment, particular punishment. There will not only be authority imposed, but eighthly, there will be sweat, toil, weeds, thistles, dissatisfaction. The man will have to become a laborer, particularly in the olden days. There will be great burdens to lift. The ground will need to be toiled and need to be ploughed and need to be cut up. And even in the modern days when you have an office job, there'll be office politics. And there will be bosses that are unkind, that couldn't care about the people that work for them. There'll be slave labor. And it will only be Christians that Abolish slavery. Oh, this is the world that we live in. This is the toil that we're afflicted by. Ninthly, verse 17 and 18, what about the environment that we live in? Will that be missed? No. The fields, the oceans, the atmosphere will be affected by the curse. There'll be pollution. The beauty will start to be spoiled. There'll be acid rain stripping the trees of their leaves and pine needles. And the world will start to lose some of its beauty. The rainforests will be taken down. Maybe the temperature will go up directly because of what we have done although these things move in cycles, even the environment will be cursed and there will be pollution. But there's a tenth thing. We need to look at this. Because of the fall, something significant, we thought about it first thing. Death. The first death will be through murder. Death, change and decay. And all around I see King Death from the time that Adam fell, ruled. And King Death doesn't stop reigning until Christ comes and proves that one day death will be abolished forever. But it's not just physical death. The worst death of all is a spiritual death we will be cut off from God and separated from Him and until God breaks in, God reveals Himself, God visits us, God awakens the heart, we will have spiritual death within our souls. Friends, there's people here this morning Because of spiritual death, you sit in darkness. You don't know the joys of being in God's presence. You don't know his goodness, his kindness. You don't know answered prayer. You don't know how to live your life. You're not making choices that God wants you to live. You're living for self. Because there is a spiritual death gripping your heart And your life. God is the only one that can lift the shackles, the chains, and give you the freedom that Satan promised but snatched away. My friends, this morning we look at these verses so that we can understand the world as it is. We call it having a biblical worldview. Do you look through a lens that says, everything will be wonderful. There'll be blossom dropping down. There'll be feathers flying in the air. Everything will be wonderful. One day we'll get rid of the need for hospitals. Get rid of the need for education. Get rid of the need of governments. No, these things are dealing with the fallout from the fall. That's why we have kings, rulers, MPs, parents. That's why there's disease, famine, sickness, death. But the joy of it all is that once you've understood these things, you see your need of a saviour. You see your need of abundant life. You see that Satan will keep lying to you every day and you mustn't believe him or see the consequences of the fall and see your need of Christ and see the word of god is so full of truth that it speaks to everything that we experience you open the newspaper and you see and say god told me it would be so i'm not surprised God told me there would be rebellion, conflict, trouble. Because of that, Christ came into the world to redeem, to give life, to free us. We can lift above this present world and we can know joy unspeakable and full of glory. Is that your experience this morning? This was not meant to be a gloomy sermon. This is meant to give us an understanding so that we won't go through life with rose-tinted spectacles, but so we will have a reality, a sense check, an understanding of why the world is as it is and why I can't live my life the way that God wants me to unless Christ comes and redeems my soul, and frees me. Oh, this is the fallout from the fall. But there will be joy as never before when we come to him. Let's sing.